this morning, Psalm 117. Uh, this is one of what's called the Hallel Psalms. It was a Psalms, these are Psalms of praise that were sung during the feast days and in particular during Passover. In fact, the second half of the Hallel Psalms, which is Psalms 113 to 118, the second half of them were sung at the conclusion of Passover. And so what we're reading this morning would have been one of the songs that were sung by Jesus himself during the Last Supper. Interesting, knowing what he was facing, and yet he sang praises to the Father, knowing what he was facing in a matter of hours. Psalm 117 is the is the smallest chapter of the Bible. What's interesting is it is also the middle chapter of the Bible. The exact number of chapters precede it and come after it. The middle chapter of the Bible. It's made up of 33 English words, but only 17 Hebrew words. So it's small. We don't know anything about its author, its occasion, the date, all of that is unknown. And that that works pretty well because it's meant to be a broad subject. Subject of of this psalm. The centrality of praise offered to God for all believers. I'm going to get you to sing something with me. Maybe you've not heard it in a while. Maybe it brings back old memories. But there's a reason we're going to sing it. If you know this, join me with me, okay? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. What do we call that? The doxology. It's been said, and I think rightly so, that what the doxology is to the New Testament church, this psalm is to the Old Testament Believer, let's read it. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endureth forever. There's a certain doxology to that, isn't it? If there's something that is missing from our lives, it probably has something to do with our lack of praise. Is he worthy of praise? Yes. The thing is, even if God had never done anything for us, he's still worthy of praise by virtue of who he is. He doesn't have to earn our praise It's already his. The question is, are we praising him as we should? And so with the Lord's help this morning, I'd like to speak to you on this subject, making a point of praise. Making a point of praise. And so, Father, would you help us? 
to rightly divide your word of truth this morning. There's just, there's something in my spirit that senses a lot of people got a lot of things going on. Maybe folks are tired. I don't know. But Lord, we need your help today. We need you to speak to us and do something unusual and and unmistakably you. And we'll give you the thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Making a point of praise. Would you notice, first of all, the precept of praise? What's a precept? That's a thou shalt or a thou shalt not in Scripture. It's a rule. It's a command. Would you notice with me that this is not a suggestion? This is not something that God is offering as a possible use of your time. No, it is a demand. It is a command. It is a precept that we praise the Lord. It is his expectation that we praise him. It's not something that God says, well, if you'll do it, you'll be more enriched, you'll feel better about life, blah, blah, blah. No, I expect you to offer me praise. What is praise? If we're expected to do it, then what is praise? Well, you've got actually three words for praise here. The first one is hallel. Hallel, oh, praise the Lord. It's from this hallel, when you add it to the Lord, it becomes a word familiar to us, hallelujah. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallel. And it means this, to make Jehovah clear and bright. What what, what is he saying there? If, If I am interested in drawing people's attention to something in my life or someone in my life, then I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that my representation of it is all that it should be. If I'm going to show off my new car, I'm probably going to run it through the car wash. If I'm going to, if I'm going to invite people over to my home, I'm probably going to straighten up a bit, maybe mow the grass. I want people to get the best possible impression of what I'm going to show them. Well, my question to you and to myself is this. What kind of God are we portraying to this world around us? Are we living in such a way that we make him look the best he possibly can to this lost and dying world? Or does our lifestyle and our choices make God look pretty dingy? When I praise him, it's not just a matter of my lips. It's a matter of my life. My life should be a living testimony to the praiseworthiness of God in heaven. Is it? Is it? Then you move on. He says, praise him, all ye nations. That word praise is from the word shabak, not hallel, shabak, and it means to address loudly. A man named Graham Scroggie put it this way. He said, to publicly worship the Lord, magnifying his name. Now, this is when a lot of preachers jump on this thing and use that old chestnut. You'll yell at a ball game. You'll yell at the TV. You'll yell at your wife, but you won't yell out for Christ. And there's something to be said there. But the reality of it is not everybody's personality is one that is loud. Not everybody in here, if I'm preaching, says, Hallelujah, man, glory. Not everybody does that. 
In fact, the vast majority of you do not. When I was a younger preacher, I used to read a lot into that because I came up in a culture that taught me that if if it's really getting on and God's doing something, you're going to hear it. You know what I found? There's a lot of people that the more they start digging into the things of God, the quieter they get. I'm not saying that we ought to be willingly the frozen chosen. Okay. It's, it, it is okay for you to say amen. It's okay for you to say glory to God, praise the Lord, hallelujah, saddle that horse and ride it, shake that bush, shuck that corn, whatever you, you know, do me a favor and keep it in English if you would. But Because uh, <laughs> I don't have interpreters, so that violates 1 Corinthians. All right, but it's okay. It's okay to respond. That's why I love having babies in here because babies give me amens when you will not. But it does beg the question when's the last time we said something praiseworthy about the Lord out loud? We don't mind talking about our grandkids, we don't mind talking about our fiance. We don't mind talking about other things that we're proud of. When's the last time you were proud of the Lord and want to talk to somebody about it? It's okay to be allowed. I'm not talking about loud, obnoxious, but it's okay to speak aloud about the things of God. Our country is in the shape it's in largely because Christians shut up and the other side didn't. Isn't it interesting how much can get done with a vocal minority? We're to praise him. It's not a suggestion. It's not a request. It's a command. The precept of praise. How about this one? The participants of praise. Who does God expect to praise him? Now, remember, this is written in the Old Testament. Regardless of when it was written or by whom, it's an Old Testament psalm. And so it's in an Old Testament economy. And in the Old Testament, we have this idea that everything's about the Jews, and it was Jew versus Gentile. And even when you get into the Gospels, you see that that was carried over, and even some of the apostles themselves did not like Gentiles, didn't believe they could be saved, and there was this stark contrast between Jews and Gentiles. But to whom is he speaking here in the Old Testament? Oh, praise the Lord, all ye Nations. Do you know what the word nations there is? It's goyim. Goyim found its way into Yiddish. It's not just Hebrew. It means a Gentile. A Gentile. What's he saying? Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles. Then he goes on to say, all ye people. That just refers to people groups. We tend to use the term races. Now I know that this is a certain area of the country, but you need to understand something. The word race is a misnomer. It is true. People look different, and people project certain ethnicities. But you get past the skin, nothing's different. There's nothing in the Bible that supports the idea that one people group is superior to another. It's not there. 
And I realize culturally we've got a lot of things going on in this country, but if there's anybody that ought to understand the individual value of every person, it ought to be Christians. There's, there's a universality to this. He's not just telling the Jews to praise him. He wants everyone to praise him. He always has wanted everyone to praise him. Go all the way back to Genesis 12. Before the Jews even got started, look at Genesis chapter 12, verse number 3. God is speaking to Abraham. Genesis 12, verse number 3. Verse 1 says, The Lord God said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curseth thee, and thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. There is no biblical support for the idea that there was a Jewish and Gentile distinction in who God wanted to reach. Did God deal differently with the Jews than he did the Gentiles? Yes. But does that mean that God wanted to reach Gentiles any less than he wanted to reach Jews? No. He has always intended to reach everyone. For God so loved the Jews that he gave, nope, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The world, that's everybody. That's everybody. The inclusion of Gentiles in God's plan didn't begin in Acts when God dragged Peter to a rooftop and showed him a bowl full of unclean animals. Or a sheet, rather. What I have cleansed that call not common. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. No, God has always meant to reach everyone. Let me give you some names of non-Jewish people that figure prominently in Jewish heritage. How about Ruth? How about Rahab? How about Bathsheba? All Gentiles. All Gentiles in the very lineage of Jesus Christ. Now, most of us, if not all of us, are Gentile. So, so okay, Andy, what, what does that mean? Let's take it more broadly. If you ever fail to give the gospel to somebody because they look different than you, shame on you. Shame on you. And shame on me. Because everybody's meant to be a participant in praise. Everybody. How do I know? Go to the book of Revelation. Hold your place here and go to Revelation. When this whole thing is over, Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. How many nations were there? All of them. All of them. We've seen the precept of praise. We've seen the participants of praise. So what's next? The provocation for praise. What motivates us to praise God? Now, I hope you have some time because if we're going to talk about why we should praise God, we're going to be here a while. So for the sake of 
surviving, going to go eat at some point, then let's just pick out a few, shall we? You do understand, if you were to stop and really count your blessings, you'd never stop. You'd never stop. So what's the provocation for praise? What motivates us to praise him? Verse 2, for his merciful kindness is great unto us. What a great word, merciful kindness. More often than not, it's translated loving kindness, but it's the same word. Merciful kindness, loving kindness. What does that mean? It means an unfailing, steadfast, faithful love. When you look at the Hebrew use of that word that's translated merciful kindness, and you look at what it entails, it actually has a a companion word in the New Testament that kind of sums it up the same way this word does. Do you know what that word is? Grace. Grace. With that in mind, let's go back and look at the verse. Why should I praise him? For his grace is great toward us. Would you agree with that? God's unmerited favor, God's riches at Christ's expense, God giving us that which we do not deserve, his grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, like you, But not only that, we should praise him because the truth of the Lord endureth forever. What's he mentioned in verse 2? He mentions mercy and he mentions truth. Are you glad we serve a God of truth? Truth, let me ask that again. Are you glad we serve a God of truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You understand that truth is not relative. There's no such thing as your truth and my truth. It's truth or it's not. Truth is truth. It doesn't doesn't change. It doesn't flag. It doesn't depend on circumstances. Something is true or it's untrue. Well, I, I live my truth. Then almost certainly you're living an untruth. It's not your truth. We're glad for truth, but I'm equally glad for mercy. Because where does truth leave me? It leaves me in hell. Mercy plucks me out. And you've got to have both. And aren't you glad we serve a God that is both mercy and truth? See, it's been rightly said that mercy without truth is powerless. Truth without mercy is penal, meaning it's a punishment. I'm glad for mercy and for truth. But let's look at another word here that I think we don't want to miss. It says, for his merciful kindness is what? Great. That word great means mighty. It prevailed on our behalf. Now, I'm going to illustrate what this word great means, and I hope you don't think that I'm being disrespectful to the house of God. But let's say, I'm going to open it just a hair. Let's say that I knew someone had one of my children in that room. And let's say that I knew that they meant to do them harm. I'm here, there and there with one of my children. If you're a father or a mother, 
What would you do? That's what I'd do. That's what that word great means. Let me show you. I'm in here. I'm lost in my sins. I'm going to die and go to hell. It's been true from the foundation of eternity. But God in his love extended his mercy and his truth. And when Jesus died on that cross, was buried, and rose again, the condition that I was in, mercy and truth, came in and kicked the door down and prevailed over the sin that was going to destroy me. You can't overstate what an amazing thing happened when God accomplished redemption. He kicked the door in on our certain future in hell and saved us. That's what provokes me to praise him. That's what should provoke all of us to praise him. And yet we find ourselves silent so frequently, don't we? The provocation of praise. The precept, it's a command. The participants, it should be everybody. The provocation for praise, his merciful kindness, his mercy and his truth has been great unto us. But then here's the so what, really, the purpose of praise. Why does God demand that we praise him? And this is a hard question to answer because we view it like people. All right? I endeavor to do the best job that I can as the pastor of this church and in what areas I'm involved in the school. I want to do a good job. But what would you think of me if I did a good job and then insisted that you praise me for it? I'm working hard for you people. It'd be pretty good if every once in a while you told me what a good job I'm doing. Would that be something that would endear me to you? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. And we tend to think of that from a human perspective. And then some people, unfortunately, people that don't know the Lord, people that are adversarial against him. I don't know what kind of a God is so stuck on himself that he expects his creation to praise him. The problem is they're thinking like a human. You understand that God commands us to praise him not for him. He commands us to praise him for us. He doesn't need it. The benefit of praise doesn't fall on him. It falls on us. Because a creature, by any standard of nature, a creature is made to be subservient to its maker. And if that creature does not sense that its maker is pleased, then that creature's existence is diminished. There's things I disagree with him on, but I'm going to tell you, one of the deepest thinkers in Christianity is John Piper. Now, like I said, he's wrong about a couple of things. 
If he'd hang around me, I could straighten him out. But let me tell you something John Piper wrote, and I can't, I can't get away from it. The reason God seeks our praise is not because he isn't complete without it. He seeks our praise because we can't be happy until we give it. What am I saying? Your existence as a Christian is diminished if you're not praising him. Your life is better when you praise God. It keeps him close to you. Because what does he say about praise? He inhabits the praise of his people. So what? This isn't easy one, y'all. First of all, if you're not saved today, you need to come to Jesus before it's too late. We'll talk about that in a minute. But if you're a Christian, praise should be central to your existence. But it's not, is it? A lot of times it's grumbling. A lot of times it's dissatisfaction. A lot of times it's focused on things that are here, down here, when it should be focused on him. You start thinking about what God's done for you or just about who he is, you can't help but praise him. He's so worthy of praise. Jesus meant what he said when he said, if they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. Who do you think the birds are singing to? Nature itself, the heavens declare the glory of God. They're praising him. So what's the so what? I told you that Psalm 117 is the center chapter of the Bible. Now, that does not mean that these verses are the center verses. They're not. Just the the number of verses within the Bible, there's another way to calculate that. Praise ought to be central to our existence as Christians. I don't know how much you put into what verses fall where, but it's interesting to me the two middle verses of the Bible. It's an odd number, so there has to be two. The two middle verses of the Bible. Go to Psalm 113. I think I told you wrong. That's why I have my backup notes here. 103. <laughs> Although 113's a good one too. Psalm 103. Should praise be central to our existence? Well, let's see what the two middle verses of the Bible are. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord. O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. (laughs) 
I don't know how much we make of where verses fall, but it just seems more than coincidence to me that the very middle of the Bible is all about making a point of praise. Praise.